Today, on Commitment to Truth. If that doesn't even cross your mind, the salvation of your neighbors, the salvation of your, your family, the salvation of your cousins, your, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your close friend, your co-workers, if that is not even remotely in your mind, you're out of the will of God. But you should be some kind of influencer in their lives to at least say, well, look at me, you see Christ. See how I conduct myself on my job, you see Christ. See how I love my wife, respect my husband, raise my children, honor my parents, you should see Christ. Something should be smelling and looking like Jesus in your life. If not, you're out of the will of God. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we continue a series titled, By the Book on Ephesians, A New Community. In this series, our pastoral team will take us through the entire book of Ephesians to encourage us to understand our new community identity and to practically walk it in real life. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. Can you open with me again to Ephesians? We're in the last chapter of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verses 5 through 9 as we continue to describe our end, our description of our new walk. Verses 5 through 9, it says this, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, with good will, render service as to the Lord, not to people, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now, uh, don't jump ship on me right now because if you hear the, you hear the term slave master, especially from the lens of the United States of America and or this world, there's this negative connotation that goes along with slave and master. Now, uh, they, I want to dig deeper to give you greater clarity as it relates to why the scriptures are bringing this out. Now, keep in mind, everything up until this point was dealing with you now your family, your marriage, like how dad shouldn't provoke their sons and their, their children to wrath, how a man treats a wife, how a wife treats a husband. Now it's starting to matriculate outside. Like how do you conduct yourself outside the household? And one of the first place to stop is work. That's where we spend most of our time, work. That's where most of our frustration comes from outside of home. Work. Dealing with people you work with and work for. Now, that being said, what I believe the scriptures are describing uh, these words slave and master in this way. You see, this word slave meant this. It meant a bondman or someone who is bound to something or someone. It also meant that there's this servio con uh, condition. In other words, I'm here to serve in some capacity. But then it also is described this way. One who gives himself up to another's will. Now, think about this. 
Someone who is defined as a slave based upon the historical narrative of slavery that we've understood doesn't give themselves up to someone's will. They don't just give in and give up. You force me to do this. I don't give myself up, which helps us better define what this word slave means. That also means this, devoted to another, okay, to disregard one's own interests. So again, if I'm under the slavery of bondage or bondage of slavery as we will view and we viewed in American history and other histories uh, across this country, I won't devote myself to someone else. All right, nor will I disregard my own interest. You follow me? So then you look at the word master. The word master means this. He to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding, but is also a title of honor, expressive of respect and reverence. Well, there's no respect and reverence that is necessary if someone owns me. You follow me? As a, as a purchased product. So you tie all this together, this is what we're going to flesh out for, for us today, is that this slave and master relationship is better defined as employer and employee. Because truth be told, if you work for eight hours a day or 12 hours a day, you are indebted to the one in which you work for. So it's better defined this way. It is called an indentured service, a servant, which means a person who signs and is bound by contract to work for another for a specified uh, time, especially in return of payment. All right. If you choose not to go to work, you break the contract, you don't get paid. Just as simple as that. So rightfully so, the person you sign your agreement on, you put the W-9, you know, W-2 and, and you get your W-9 from and your 1099 or whatever. At the end of the day, you become subservient to that person who you've agreed to to work for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, however many uh, hours per week. Similarly, if you owned your own business, guess what? You sign a contract with that customer, guess what happens? They own you until that contract ends. Chances are, if you break that agreement, you lose the customer. Just as simple as that. So when you look at this relational context, this is a very, very, very difficult part of life. Dealing with people who I have to submit to for whatever period of time, and maybe I feel that they shouldn't be in that position. Maybe you feel you could do it better than them. You ever been there? Like, why did they get promoted? Why did they become the manager? I should be the manager. Well, I could do it better than them. I just don't have the degree. But they're the ones that God has placed over you. And there's a responsibility of how I relate to them and how they relate to me. Making sense so far. Now let's go further. This word slave also means this. This is probably the most definitive part of this definition. It is those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. Every ser servant, every slave of the master, every employee of the employer must get to a point that is way beyond this contractual agreement. 
that is way beyond just getting a paycheck, but it must get to a point that it is used by Christ in extending and advancing the cause of Christ among people. That I don't go to work merely for a paycheck. I go to work to advance the kingdom of God. I don't go to work to please the employer, right? I don't go to work to get the promotion, even though that may come about. But I go to work to ultimately advance the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God and that alone. So that being said, the scripture says to us, be obedient, be obedient, which means of one who on the knock at the door comes to listen to who is it. Remember, we learned that last week. In other words, if your boss knocks on your door, you go to see who is it versus rejecting it or pushing back on it but respecting the authority that God has placed in your life because you know that God has appointed that person over you in this season of your life. You don't push back and you, you don't think that there's some other knock at the door, but you realize that this person is your authority and that authority uh, that has been assigned by God, I have a responsibility to be attentive to what they're requesting of me rather than pushing back all the time. The word master also is expressed here with a capital M, uppercase, which means it's similar to the lowercase master, but also is he to whom a person or things belongs, about which he has power of deciding, the possessor and disposer of a thing. The only one who can possess and dispose is whom? God. He has the power to lift up. He has the power to what? Bring down. Proverbs says this, promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, but it comes from what? The very hand of God. This word master also is this. This is the title only given to God who is the Messiah. So think about this. Now, it says masters do the same things to them and give up threatening knowing that both the master, capital M, and yours is in heaven. So think about this. So there's this responsibility for if I'm the servant to submit to who? The master or the one that God has placed over me, right? For whatever season, the one, what, that one that I have this indentured service responsibility to. But then on the flip side, God says, hey, guess what? Hey, you who now is the master, the one in charge, the business owner, the executive, you have an under, must have an understanding that your, bit, you know, your capital M master is in heaven who has set you up where you are can also bring you down. And on top of that, I don't play favorites. What should tell us something about our responsibility as men and women who have responsibility over people is that you, you and I cannot play favor with people. You may have an employee that works a little harder, one that kind of, you know, shows up late, does whatever at their own pace, can show favoritism. What you have to do is stay, stay tethered to the capital M master 
and he will tell you how to deal with those who are non-productive, who are more productive. You follow me? He'll give you wisdom on how to navigate that rather than making independent decisions that are more favorable for one than the other. So how do we accomplish this? You see, this is how we should honor Christ. To become men and women as we walk, to live honorably in the marketplace. How do we live honorably in the marketplace? It looks like this. We have to show sincere obedience to our authority in the flesh. Sincere obedience. Not just obedience to collect a paycheck. Not just obedience to get a promotion. Not just obedience to keep them off my back. Not just obedience to say, hey, I'm doing my job, but they ain't doing their job. I'm carrying my weight. Sincere obedience. It also means this, is never, never do with eye service or as people pleasers, but as slaves to Christ, which again affirms that it, it cannot be slaves as we know from our lands. Who, who would want to be a slave to someone and, and please them? No, but we should be men and women who are slaves to Christ and say, you know what? I know your eyes are always on me. Listen, my boss can turn his back, but I know you always see me. I know that, uh, you know, uh, that customer drives me crazy. And I wish I can drop that customer like a hot potato right now because all they do is cause me headaches. But you know what? I can't because I know the eyes of the Lord are watching me. The way we honor in the, uh, Christ in the marketplace is that we got to get to a point that we do the will of God from the heart. I remember when our kids were younger, we started using this phrase. Maybe you can grab it. You know how you have that one kid, it's like you ask them to do something, and they're going to just emotionally show you everything. Oh, I can't believe it. Why are you? <laughs> but you have that other kid, they do what you say, but it ain't really from the heart. You know what I mean? They'll do it, but on the inside, they're pouting. On the inside, they're sitting down, but they're moving on the outside. So we kind of coined this phrase. We said, can you take the trash out with a happy heart? I know you don't want to do it. Can you just do it with a happy heart? And I believe that's what God is saying to you and I. Listen, it ain't about just doing it to please mom and dad. Oh, I clean my room. You know, I'm, I washed the dishes. I did the chores, God. I'm, doing, I'm checking all the boxes, God. But yet my heart is so hard towards that person that God has placed over me. And I beseech you today, church, I personally believe that's why so many men and women who call themselves Christians are passed over from promotions. Because God, who gives the promotions, is looking at the heart and saying, you don't deserve it. Because he goes on to say in, in 1 Peter, he says, anyone can, can do what's right for the one who treats you justly. But the one who does what is right when he's treated unjustly, this finds favor with God. 
everybody does good when someone is doing good to them. This is where he promises when you honor Christ, knowing whatever good thing you do, you receive it back from the Lord. Just do the right thing. Don't base it upon who the person is who's over you. Just do the right thing and you're going to receive it back from the Lord. And if you're, listen, if you're the authority, please never forget that you have a capital M master. You have a capital M master and he says he's in heaven and remember he does not show partiality. So again, the only way you're going to have to deal with employees and because and, our human sinful nature is to be bent towards someone who makes it easy for you. The one who shows up all the time, the one who gives the, the extra hours, right? It's easy to be bent towards that person, but God says, no, don't care, can't show partiality. Can't show partiality. Yeah, you deal with the, the behavior, but you can't show partiality. Because the eyes of the master in heaven is also on us. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33 says it this way. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if it's simply eating and drinking or if it's whatever big thing in your life, you do it for the glory of God. Many of us don't even think about eating and, and drinking. Many of us don't even say grace and thank God for what we have, right? But he says, no, no, even those things, those Monday things that you don't even think about, you can do in your sleep, do that for my glory. And if you do that for my glory, everything else will be done for my glory. So it doesn't mean, okay, if things are going good on your job, do it for my glory. No, when it is not going your way, you still do it for his glory. Our new walk is to serve our earthly authority well as unto Christ. Our new walk is to manage our God-given authority that he gives us and assigns to us in a way that is unto Christ as well. Amen? Our new walk also is to live in his strength because you can't, anything I've described to you, you can't do it without being what? In him, in his strength. So that's why if you look further at verses 10 through 17, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil is always scheming, prowling around, right, as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, wickedness in the heavenly places. So can you imagine with me right now, you can say, our struggle is not against our parents. It's not against your mother. It's not against your father. Remember the previous verses. You define scripture with scripture. If you think that it really is your dad who abandoned you, you're missing it. If you really think it's your wife, you're missing it. If you really think it's your husband, you're missing it. If you really think it's your kids, you're missing it. 
The wrestle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's not your boss. It's not your employees that drive you crazy. So therefore, if you know it's not flesh and blood and you know it's spiritual, therefore, listen up, lean into it. It says, take up the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to resist on the evil day and have it done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist or girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, our new walk is to live in his strength. Not your own. We cannot get through the pains, the people of this world in our own strength. Be strong. <coughs> Be strong. <clears throat> Be strong is defined three ways to receive strength. When you come to know Jesus Christ <clears throat> as Lord and Savior, you receive his strength. His spirit comes to live within you, to indwell you. You receive strength. Here's our challenge. <clears throat> Next definition, be strengthened. So I can have strength, but I can lack strength. The one who gives me strength lives within me, but it says, be strengthened. I have to be strengthened in the moment, during the attack, during the frustrations, during the relational conflict, during the loss, right? D during the growth, during the, the, uh, the decreases that are in our lives, right? I have to be strengthened in that moment, but it doesn't end there because this is our challenge. Someone can be <clears throat> a follower of Jesus Christ for years and it's okay. I have his strength and I know that intelligibly and I even know it. Okay, well, I'll trust him and be strengthened in that, but there will always come a time in our lives that we have to third part of the definition of be strong. I have to increase in strength. In other words, the way we can define and determine if we are increasing in strength is by, is that same attack of the devil continuing to trip me up? Am I still coming to communion saying, well, God, can you forgive me over this? Well, it shows that I'm not increasing in my strength. The same thing that tripped me up 10 years ago should not be tripping me up. 10 years later. I shouldn't be having the same marital arguments that we did 10 years ago. By George, let it be something else. I shouldn't be having the same male issues, you know, in my life. Like, why, why keep getting on my knees, asking God and fasting and praying about the same old thing? Well, it's because I'm not increasing in my strength. 
And it, increasing in our strength simply says the one who strengthens me is taking control of more and more and more of me. He's possessing more and more of me. He is owning more and more of me. He is giving free reign and opportunity to heal me in more and more places. He's given the opportunity to be Lord in more and more places. We have to know that, yes, I have his resident strength in me <clears throat> because greater is he, right? That is in me. I have his resident strength, but I must rely on his strength today in this moment against this, against that, against them, against him, her. I must resist in the moment, but I must also be a man and a woman of God who is growing and strengthening day by day, moment by moment, that the same things are not tripping me up year after year, relationship after relationship, situation after situation. And remember, this being strong is, is not just this arbitrary place. It says in the strength, in the strength of whom? His might, and, and listen to what this means, in the strength, in the force, power, might, in the deed, in the dominion of God's ability. So again, it just shows you the place of a man's mind, heart, and emotion must be where he is. That's why Colossians says, or Philippians says, excuse me, chapter four, think on those things that are holy, that are lovely, that are good reputation. Set your mind, Colossians says, three, on things above where Christ is, where his dominion reigns. So if I'm continuously getting caught up in this earthly realm, it's going to always trip me up. If I think it's really my wife disrespecting me, it will always trip me up. It's not that. It's God trying to deal with something in me behind the veil. It's not my wife. Remember what James 4 says. What's the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? Isn't it that you wage war on the inside of your members? I have to get to a point that I realize the enemy is at work there's things I don't see that translates into attacks on me. Be strong, resist, able to set oneself against, able to withstand, able to resist, able to oppose. That's what God is promising us is this ability to say, no, not today, Satan, not today, you demonic forces. Not today in my marriage, not today in my purity, not today in my mind, not today in my self-control, not today. But it gets better. You see, these words stand firm. Listen to what it means to cause to stand. So everything I just described to you should cause you to stand. 
even when you don't feel like it, you are able to stand. It goes further to stand in the presence of others. So there's going to be times and situations that you'll go through that you're going to have to stand in the presence of others and not concede to what you experience with others. Or I like to affectionately call it chameleon Christianity. Whoever I'm with, I look like. I just blend right in. So if it's people from my past, I just blend right in versus stand against it. If it's people who are doing wrong and I know what wrong is, I just blend right in and I comply versus stand it against. Well, my family, you know, my family knows I'm a little different now. I'm changed, transformed. Then we have this family gathering, that family, you know, picnic, that family reunion, and I just blend in with the family. Because that's just what family does. But no, I'm part of a different family now. With a different father, different heritage. Therefore, I have to stand in the presence of others. Even before judges, even, so if someone is judging you, and also before members of the Sanhedrin, or before religious people, right? How many times do you find religious people who say they're Christian, and they're just slinging Bible verses, everything, and, but yet they don't live it themselves, they're but whitewashed tombs. So you have religious people, you have the Sanhedrin, and your challenge is, is to stand and not succumb to it. It gets better. It says, when we stand, this stand firm means to make firm, to cause a person to keep his place, to be kept intact, specifically to keep the family intact, to keep the kingdom intact, to escape in safety. There's times part of standing is to, he provides what? He said, I'll provide you what? A room for escape. To set in balance, to stop, to stand still, to make immovable. There's times we just need to stop Stop. Just stop it. How many times do we want to just be active and do something, but God is saying, no, just stop. Don't say a word. Don't move a finger. Let me handle it. Stop. To continue safe and sound, to stand unharmed. So yes, when I'm standing, everything I've described, I'll stand, what? Unharmed. It also means stand ready or prepared to be of a steadfast mind, one who does not hesitate. So again, the, the times that you may need to stand in his strength and his power, it may mean go, don't hesitate. Do exactly what I'm telling you to do in this moment. Don't hesitate. Because your hesitation communicates not standing. Lastly, it doesn't waver. No matter what you go through, in your family, on the job, in the world, we gotta be people who just don't waver. You see, our new walk is to find our strength in our Lord. Jesus Christ alone. This walk is to always be fully armed 
in the person of Jesus Christ in him and him alone. Amen? Let's move along real quickly here. You see, our new walk is also a life that understands that we have to live in prayer. Listen to what verses 18 through 20 says. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mysteries of the gospel for which I am ambassador in change. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here, here's a challenge. At the end of the day, we need to be men and women who are living in prayer. Praying for each other, praying for the gospel opportunity. Now, here's our challenge as the body of Christ. I'm not, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us today, how many people literally pray that God open the doors for the gospel? Rarely do you even hear that within churches. The God, can you open the doors for the gospel? Can you open the doors to the gospel to my mother, my father, my grandfather, my grandchildren? Listen, my great, 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 even children unborn. God, we intercede for those children that we don't even know. We will never see their eyes. Uh, we will never place, place our eyes upon them. But we are going to pray for children and generations that we will never see on this side of heaven. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would extend to them. How many of us today pray for our father we hate, our mother we despise? How many of us today pray for rebellious children? Think about it. How many of us today spend more time on Facebook and other social media platforms blasting, you know, the people that God placed over us as authority? Presidents and, and congressmen and senators and mayors and, and we blast them rather than pray for them. God moves when the church prays. And listen to how he says we should pray. We should pray in the spirit. So we got to remember that the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity, church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal. They are all one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Thus, our challenge is to become a church that what? We are praying all times in the personality and the character of the Holy Spirit. Because when I pray in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit, I'm influenced by God and the Son. Whatever is on the heart of the Father is also a heart of the Son. Whatever is heart on the, in the heart of the Father and the Son is in the heart of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work with his power. That God be thou glorified and move powerfully in the lives of our community open the doors that people will come to know Jesus in droves remember what the scriptures teach us church it says that in the fullness of time God sent forth his son and given us the Holy Spirit into our hearts crying Abba Father we should be praying for that for the lost God sent forth your spirit to cry out in people's hearts, daddy, daddy. 
That's what the Father wants. That's what God wants. He says in James, he wishes, his final words, he wishes that none will perish, but all will come to the saving knowledge of his son. And he who is wise wins souls. We should pray for proper speech. In other words, we can't be men and women who are bold, but we don't speak what's right. We don't speak what's timely. We don't speak his heart. You see, the word speech means this, to speak a word. There's times we just need a rhema word from God, that God, I need you to speak now. I need to know what you want to say now. Pray a word may be given to me. This word, speech, also means an idea. How many times are we in situations and, and predicaments that we just need an idea from the Lord? Pray that I have an idea that comes from him. It also means this. You know, uh, this word speech means Pray that the sayings of God may be given to me. Whatever you want to say, God, that's what I want to say. It goes on to be defined this way. A mandate of the moral precepts given by God may be given to me. God, I want to know everything you know. First Corinthians talks about how can we know the mind of God but by the spirit of God. You see, we should pray as well. It says, as we ought to. This, so there's this proper speech, but then it says, as we ought to, as it is necessary, as there is a need of, as it is right and proper, the necessities established by the counsel and the decrees of God, not ourselves. It also means this, especially by the purposes of which, of his uh, will, which relates to the salvation of men and the intervention of Christ. That God, the way I want to pray and the way I want to communicate is in a way that ultimately is sends forth your spirit to intervene in the way it should be that leads to salvation. Because no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says it this way. Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what the Spirit, what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to his will. The Spirit of God will never ask you to pray against his will. So we need to be a church that when we pray, we're opening the text and we pray in his will. You see, I shared earlier today, I said, just to admonish the guys, I said, you know, <laughs> I remember there was a time in my life I was praying like, God, can you change Lisa? Can you change Lisa? Can you change Lisa? God, can you teach her how to respect me? Can you, can you make her obedient to your word? And guess what? He never answered me. <laughs> He, did, he didn't answer me. Because you know why? I forgot uh, 1 Peter 
chapter 3, verse 7. And I happened to run across it. And you know what it says? He says, uh, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. And it goes on to say as someone weaker. Now, I process that word weakness just like any guy does. And I say, okay, weakness. Well, does that mean that, you know, she physically weak? Well, absolutely not. After three kids, absolutely not. I would never want to birth children. <laughs> Women are strong. I mean, birth a child? Come on now. I saw it live and in person. No way. I saw a C-section when they were let, letting you in. I saw it. I'm like, whoa. She's strong. I have a strong wife. You are a strong woman. Right? So it's not that. Well, she's smarter than me, so it's not mentally weak. But the way we extrapolate or interpret weakness as guys is this. When we see our wives go up and down emotionally. It's like, well, yesterday you were happy. Now today you're sad. Yesterday you were praising the Lord. Today you're scared. I mean, it's just like, what in the world? And it, and it causes such confusion and it discombobulates the man. And the man, historically, you read the Old Testament, it's like, okay, if this wife doesn't work, I exchange her for someone else. That's literally was a law. It was a privilege of, well, she did that wrong. Okay, you don't like her mole on her cheek. Okay, get another one. So there's this definition in a man's mind is that there's something wrong with her because she's made that way. And please don't be offended, ladies, because God is the one who said this. And he knows who you are. But then he follows it up, guys, with this. And this is what just challenged me greatly. It says, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way as someone weaker but as a joint heir. Which immediately tells a man she's equal to you. Completely equal to you in the eyesight of God. So don't disrespect her. Don't think you better because you've pointed out a weakness. Then he finishes and says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't know about you guys. I want my prayers to be heard by God. And you know what it did? It sealed the deal in my heart that says, okay, I got it. Hopefully I'm a fast learner, God. I will stop prejudging my wife and whenever something I don't quite understand and it's kind of freaking me out a little bit as a guy, I'm going to just ask you to help me understand her. It changed my heart towards my wife. It changed my whole perspective. And, and then this is, this is what I want to attach with this, guys. So many times in our search for understanding our wives, we will start uncovering, oh, shucks, I think she needs this. And this could be, I probably should come home early, reliever of the kids, or I probably should come home, cook, do, you know, I, she probably needs a break for a minute, so I need to somehow intervene to relieve weight from her. You follow me? Or she may need a supernatural work of a holy God who hears her cry. And the Lord starts showing me, why won't he tell me? 
And he starts showing me more and more of what Lisa needs were before she even needed it. So give you an example. If your wife literally needs something, i.e. a vacation, and let's say, guys, it's not in your budget. And if you're anything like me, it's like you, you count dollars and cents. It's like, no, we can't do that. We just did that. You know, and it's like, no, and she, or maybe she's counting the dollars and cents, but she's weighty, weighty, saying, but, but I wish we could, but I wish we could. And trust me, wives drops all, they drops hints when they don't even know they're dropping hints. So here's my challenge. If I'm praying, being led by the Spirit, and I know that God tells me a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Where's my favor? Logically, it's not my budget. Secondly, I'm not going to extend my budget to get us in more debt. So God, I need you to intervene and do a miracle for the good thing that you have given me. Why wouldn't God answer you? Ladies, grab Lisa aside one day. When I, this clicked, there's not been anything that God has not revealed to me for her or she expressed to me that if I said, okay, God, you know what? In your timing, I'm not going to rush it. I'm not going to put a time clock on it. I'm not going to make it happen, but I'm going to wait on you, intercede, and she intercedes along with me, and we say, God, if this is my wife's desire, God, can, can you do some kind of miracle? She is your good gift to me. I can't afford it. I don't want to work another job because if I work this other job, I will gain the whole world and lose my soul. I'm praying the Bible. So God, I need you to be the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills that everything is yours above the heavens, below the heavens, above the earth, below the earth. Everything belongs to you. My God, and if necessary, guys, with tears before the Lord, I need you to intervene on behalf of my wife, on behalf of my family. Because you say to me, God, that it is worse than an infidel to not provide for my family. So, God, I need you to do something that eyes cannot see, nor ears have heard, nor enter into my thoughts. I need you to move. Why wouldn't he do it? That's the kind of God we serve. but I believe he waits for us to pray spirit-led prayers. Lastly, and thanks for your patience today. We're covering a lot of stuff. Verses 21 through 23 says, now, so that you also may know about our circumstances as to what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make every thing known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what it ends, how it ends. With in 
incorruptible love. I believe the final description of how we should walk this new walk is to live to love Jesus incorruptibly. It's just, man, just sincerely love him. This word incorruptible means this, perpetuity or timeless love. That God, I will love you timelessly. But it also means this, a pure love, a sincere love. So God, I will sincerely and purely love you perpetually. Say that a hundred times, you know, fast. But 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15 describes this incorruptible of love. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. We got to be people persuaders. Persuade them to Jesus. But we all, but we are all well known to God and I hope that we are also well known in your conscience. We're not committing ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Because there'll be people who just, they're from the show me state. Now you, you gotta prove this thing. For if we have lost our minds, or if we're out of our minds, it appears that you're out of your mind, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls. Another term or word used here is compels. So love of Christ should compel you to go, compel you to do, compel you to obey. And the love of Christ should control you to restrain you and reframe you. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. That's true love. Several years ago, the National Institute of Mental Health conducted an experiment, and this is how they described it, or it was described in a book, real good book, it's called Improving Your Serve by Chuck Swindoll. It states this. It took place in a nine-foot square cage designed to house comfortably 160 mice. For two and a half years, the colony of mice grew from eight to 2,200. Plenty of food, water, and other resources were continually provided. All mortality factors except aging were eliminated. Dr. John Calhoun, a research psychologist, began to witness a series of unusual phenomena among the mice as the population reached its peak. Within the cage from which the mice could not escape, the colony began to disintegrate. Adults form groups or cliques about a dozen mice in each group. In these groups, different mice performed particular social functions. The males who would normally protect their territory withdrew from leadership and became uncharacteristically passive. 
the female became unusually aggressive and forced out the young. The young found themselves without a place in the society and they grew to increasingly become more self-indulgent. They ate, drank, slept, and groomed themselves but showed no normal assertiveness. The whole mouse society ultimately became disrupted. And after five years, all the mice had died. Even though there was an abundance of food, water, resources, and an absence of disease. I've spent the last X amount of weeks describing to you this new community, this new walk. Honestly, it's similar to this box. Has everything we need. Matter of fact, has every one, capital O, we need. But our challenge is this, church. If it just becomes this cliquish community that no one is being added to us, it'll all die. If God has supernaturally changed your life and you are part of this new community called the body of Christ, our responsibility is to walk in the way that Jesus Christ is so contagious that people are flooding in this community until we see him face to face. In the book of Acts, it says that people were coming to Christ daily. Why not us? Why not now? Why aren't there people waiting in line to get here? Why can't we see family members that we long to be here, enemies we long to be transformed, neighbors, co-workers, master, slave, however you want to, you follow me? We should be men and women who are so actively welcoming people to this community that this community continues on way past our lifetime. That our children and our children's children and our children's children yet unborn, right, would know the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, not merely just die out. So our challenge is to be a church that is always going and always reaching and always proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations and tribes and tongues and seeing people come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that we never die out. And I'm telling you, as I've seen more and more churches as a district superintendent, one of the biggest challenges is this, churches do die. And you know why they die? Because no one is added to them. We got to be a church that is always welcoming, inviting, adding, welcoming, inviting, adding, praying that God will supernaturally reach people, going out every month like we do, right? The events that we have, that it's about the gospel. It's not merely about feeding and clothing and sheltering, but it's about rescuing souls. And we'll never die. We have everything we need. And we need to be a little more bold about telling everybody that we found 
everyone or everything that we need. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our latest sermon series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Through this series, we hope you are encouraged to understand your new community identity. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.